ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome back to Hard to Paint with David Grubb, and I am happy to welcome uh, a fellow Demon Deacon and a fellow basketball lover, a fellow commentator, um, one of the best in the business, one of the fastest rising stars, I think, in broadcasting. And I don't just say that because she is a Wake Forest alum like myself, the one and only Miss LaChina Robinson. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David, you know, as well as we can be in these times. Um, I am right now in Bristol, Connecticut, covering the WNBA. We would normally obviously be at the games, but um, ESPN made a decision that we would not be going to the bubble to cover the season. So we are calling games from studio here um, on ESPN's campus in Bristol, Connecticut. So um, I'm in a bubble of my own of sorts, being that I can't go back to Georgia but uh, considering what's happening in our world and, and people not only getting sick, but, you know, the death toll and, and people losing their jobs. And it's just so much happening in our world. So I am blessed compared to a lot of what's happening. Yeah. And sometimes I still kind of feel a little bit guilty that I'm talking about sports a bunch when there are these other things going on. Um, but I also like the fact that we can use this as a vehicle to have other conversations. And one of the things that you just kind of alluded to, male announcers for the NBA are in the bubble. Yeah. We're not seeing the same types of conditions. I mean, you know, I, you, you do a cursory review of the WNBA app. There, you can't get individualized statistics. You can't, you go to team pages. There's not a lot of information. The women are playing at IMG Academy, which is a high school basically. They're living in much different conditions than their male counterparts. I understand when we talk about revenue, but I think that there is still a huge discussion to be had about proportionality when you're talking about professional basketball and the way the WNBA treats its athletes and the way the, w, the, way the NBA treats its own. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm so deep in, in the women's basketball college WNBA. I don't even know a lot about what the NBA has. It's funny you mentioned the app because I would not know that, right? Um, so it's, it's the fans that that like both or are trying to be fans of both sports that could probably speak to some of those aspects more than I can. But I will say that I do know that um, we have a ways to go in terms of some of those things you mentioned, like stats and information and um, you know, which make my job easier as, as someone in media. And I think that's probably the hardest part in, in terms of the lack of equity is, um, you know, you want to make it easy for people to cover the WNBA for them to become fans. And um, I, don't, I think as a rather young league, they're still trying to figure out some things and the resources are just very different. Um, I mean, you mentioned revenue, but I just think you know, in a way that's, to me, um, more related to, you know, some of the things that I think are important for the WNBA to have now, um, the NBA has full staffs. They have, you know, tons of people in their front offices. The WNBA is, is still very small and don't have the manpower 
I think sometimes to keep up. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a long way to go. Um, you know, when we look at where the NBA was, I think what WNBA is 24 years old now, um, wasn't where it is now, clearly. And so I feel confident and I don't like to do the comparison. Will we ever be where the NBA is? Who knows? Probably not in my life. Who cares? Really? Right. Yeah. But, um, but there's some growing to do, but we've made a lot of strides. Yeah. I mean, I am not one of those people who spends a lot of time doing that comparison. And I think that's, that's a, a wrong framing of the conversation when we say, oh, let's look at the WNBA as it compares to the NBA today. Like you said, this is still very much a league in its infancy. You're, you, you know, you're, you don't have that class of, there's no Bill Russell yet. You know what I mean? There's no, there's none of those type figures. And, and unfortunately, because the start was so late um, in America, but what I do like, you know, like I do want to see is can we get equity in front offices? Yes. Can we see more women represented there? Coaching staffs are still predominantly male, whether it's in the WNBA, whether it's in college basketball at a high level or across all levels, even in the high school level, it's still predominantly male and predominantly white male at that. Those are pushes that in the short term can be rectified a lot faster than some of these other things. Oh, for sure. Um, it's a, it's a need for a change in mindset. Right. And where does it start? It starts with sexism. It starts with, um, you know, racism in some instances in terms of the hiring practices, systemic racism. Um, but what's interesting to me is just how the athletes now, like the next form of, of activism for them is asking about those specific things. Like, um, you know, I saw, I know Candace Parker was on a panel with me and, you know, she was just disgusted with the lack of black women coaches at the WNBA. And so she's speaking out. And from what I understand, there are some conversations that are being had with the commissioner and people in the front office around those types of things. Um, on the NBA side, you know, they want to know ownership and, and, you know, what is the makeup of leadership? Because in oftentimes what we see happening, and you know this, it's like, you know, said organization says that, you know, we have 40% diverse, right. you know, black men and women. But those black men and women aren't in CEO positions. They're not in upper level management. And so I think we have to start to dig into the numbers, right? Um, and, and there's no reason why the front offices and the coaches should not reflect the players. Like there should never be a coaching staff that does not have at least one minority person on it. If you've got an 80% black team, right? Like it just doesn't make sense to me because at the end of the day, these are the people that are making the decisions that really matter when it comes to marketing and salaries and you know so many things that make the business side of sport go round and um you know it, it just speaks volume for where the power is often in sport versus where the participation is as it pertains to race but those are definitely things that can be rectified and, and i think sports just a microcosm of our world so <laughs> we need to be making changes in every aspect of our lives as it pertains to how we deal with race and the distribution of power. But sport is a good place to start. And you've been a part of leadership on the collegiate level um, with the NCAA. Uh, and now, as you just mentioned, uh, you see players asserting themselves, um, making more demands of the universities, particularly now that safety has become to the forefront, they can push these other conversations as well. I will say this, 
female student athletes have been at the front of these conversations and female professional athletes have been making firmer, stronger, <laughs> more um, public statements in a lot of these cases than their male counterparts. And I think for the large part have been ignored in that. And I don't get, I mean, I, I get it because I know where we live and, and the society we have, but I think that, that this dismissal of it, that the, of the dismissal of the leadership that, the, that these women have played is, is a, an unfortunate thing that we're caught in as well. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've talked more often than just generally about women recently. I've talked more about Black women and how mm -hmm. they tend to be invisible, unseen, and unheard, right? And so because they are not given the space on, on platforms and media and in different areas, um, we often miss the things that they are saying, what they're doing, what they're about, who they are, um, where you can get a full diet of that in, in some of the other major sports um, all day long, you know, down to what so-and-so tight end is having for breakfast. Uh, and so I think it's a, it's a really um, – it was an important step in our world in, in terms of how we cover sports when social media came along. Because as you see, the student athletes, as you mentioned, are what? They're on social media and they're making statements and those statements are going viral and they're becoming bad press for the universities. And so the same thing kind of happened has happened with the WNBA where if there was not social media, you would not know that these women have been on the, the forefront. And, and there's still not enough people that know. I mean, it, I was floored at the number of people who just had no clue what Maya Moore had been up to, you know? Um, and so it, it's, it's a problem. And, and you're right in that these women, I often say that the women of the WNBA has, have the most to lose, yes. but also the least to lose because nobody's checking for them anyway. And right. so why not just use our voices and speak out and stand up for we, what we believe? You know, some of these male athletes are worried about, endorsement deals and all that kind of these women don't have a lot of that uh, sponsorship dollars in women's sports is less than one percent i mean it's 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 incredible um the lack of of equality that exists in that space but um i just say that to say you know no they don't get the credit that they deserve but they're willing to put it on the line and i couldn't be more proud in particular of the WNBA. Are you nervous in any way as an observer when you look at the collegiate sports landscape and with the financial implications of potentially football not being played this year? We're already seeing schools lose athletic programs. Some schools may not return as institutions at all. And these cuts will, I think, inverse, um, you know, more adversely affect women's sports the, uh, because that's what universities look to cut first. They will do anything to save football and in most cases. All this progress is because of the enforcement of Title IX, the giving, the giving of access, just simple access for women. This is a real challenge to me, um, and, and the, particularly when you have a, state, uh, a National Department of Education that has had little interest in enforcing Title IX. I, I have, you know, are you worried about what's going to happen? Yeah, to some degree, um, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think the early trends are coming back that some of the men's sports are being cut um, more often than the women. Like I've seen a ton of like men's tennis or, and obviously you don't want any sport to get cut, but um, 
you know, the trends are not showing at least quite yet that women are being disproportionately affected, but it, it has to be a concern. And, you know, Title IX um, it has particularly been just ineffective at the high school level. Um, but I think in college, it, it's been pretty steady, at least in terms of participation numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the NCAA has put some different um, review protocols in place. And, um, you know, so there are some questions that universities have to answer around Title IX. And I don't expect that to change. But, um, you know, what will change? The type of money you have to to run your program if you're a women's sport, you know, um, you know, yeah, you may have equal participation, but do you have equal opportunity at success? You know, are the men chartering and the women are starting to drive for all of their trips? Like, so we, I think we will see some of that um, with a lot of grace given to the higher revenue sports. You know, that's just the way the pecking order unfortunately works. Yeah, I mean, I remember it you know, even as an undergrad at Wake because I, I participated as one of the guys who practiced against the women's team. And, you know, a couple of the couple of them were there when you came on board. Um, Alicia Mosley, mm-hmm. Brenda Mocker Patrick, you know, they were they were freshmen when I was a senior. So um, okay. but I loved both of them. And uh, but. Yeah, I mean, even then, just the locker room. Like, I knew the guys, you know, like Tim and the guys would come in in the big leather chairs in this locker room with the seating area. And you go to the women's film area, and it was a classroom, essentially, with the, with the video board. Yeah. It, I mean, the, even those things at a school as small as Wake Forest, but that generates the kind of revenue it did, there was a noticeable difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, noticeable it, it it has been. I mean, it's jaw dropping sometimes. I mean, and I go to every I've been to just I always say I think I have to start really tracing it, but I think I've been to every Power Five school, uh, Big Twelve and Pac Twelve. Maybe have a few schools that I haven't been to, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not the right message, David. That's the that's that's at the end of the day, um, you know, you want women to feel. Uh, powerful. You want them to feel feel valued. And when you look at, again, the trends in our country, whether it's how much women are paid versus men or opportunities they have in C-suites and as CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, all of that, when you look at all of that, the message that we're sending to the women is that you're not equal. And it starts in places like in the educational space, you know, in college. It's like, I mean, I've been to so many schools to speak and I ask for questions and the, the boys are always the ones to raise their hand. Mm-hmm. The women are kind of like, hmm, I'm like, where did, where did they learn this? And then you go into the locker rooms and you see why it's different, right? Or at least you see why they may feel different. And so that actually, that actually saddens me a lot. Um, that and I again I get the revenue stuff and I get all of that but it still to me is not the right way to express the value that we should have and feel for our women what what is your mission if your mission is to educate yeah what is what are you what are you teaching yeah because like you said the way you the way we treat the things that we say we value is what how people are going to interpret And it's not the spoken word it's you can just look around 
You know, you don't have to say, well, football's more important. I can look around and see that football's more important. Let's go back to the on-court stuff because I, I could talk about these other things all day, but I do want to maximize my time with you. Um, you look at the WNBA right now. We're about six games in. Uh, of course, you look at Seattle. They look fantastic. Sue Bird, to me, looks younger, quicker almost. Um, Brianna Stewart is playing fantastic basketball. Minnesota – the thing, one of the things I love about the WNBA is that you have so many different styles of play, whereas the men's game is kind of turned into everybody wants to shoot. But I look at Minnesota and I see, see somebody like Sylvia Foles, who is as a veteran is still dominating the post and making her presence felt every night. And you put that in contrast with a team like Seattle and the way it plays or a team like Phoenix and the way it plays. I love the diversity in the gameplay. Um, how do you feel about the style of play and the depth of talent there? And are Seattle and Minnesota the favorites right now? Yeah, <clears throat> I love where the league is. You know, when I'm asked about what the highlights are for the WNBA right now, I always start with the encore talent. I mean, there are 144 of the best women athletes in the world, and they're really good at what they do. And they work year round, even when they're not playing in this league. They're overseas and they're learning new positions and you know, fine tuning their games and over the last few years, the speed and quickness uh, in, of the game has just grown tremendously in the skill set, um, which is to be expected because the more years that go on, the longer women's basketball has been around. Right. And so now you see young girls that are ahead of the curve in their development and there's new techniques and new opportunities, more opportunities. Um, but if you're looking specifically at, at this year and kind of the makeup of the season, it is one of those years, David, where you really can't call it. Like I just, last night, Seattle beat Atlanta by one point. Now, Sue Bird did not play. She's out with a knee injury to that point. Um, but one point for the team that was ex is expected to win it and a young Atlanta team that is not even close to being what they will be in the future. But the dynamics of this bubble season during a pandemic are very challenging. There's games every other day. It's a shortened season, um, you know, not available court time, practice time. So for teams that have like major free agency moves, they're trying to gel in chemistry and it's just not the environment to do that. <clears throat> I mean, you're not even really having a shoot around. I mean, you're, you're trying to save legs. You know, there were players that have opted out of the bubble. There are players that, um, you know, may have gotten COVID and are still in the quarantine process before they can be really officially brought into the fold. So it, it's hard to call it this year um, because there are so many moving pieces. But what I will say is experience does count. And though there is a youth movement is what I call it mm -hmm. of the teams that have young players that just don't care, zero respect for you. Um, you know, they come in and they're already in shape. They don't have those old veteran bodies where they have to warm up and do, you know, so they're running up and down the floor and pace. Like there is a place for that. But when you think about the favorites, you know, having someone like Sue Bird who knows how to win on the court definitely makes a difference or a Diana Tabrasi or, um, 
you know, Courtney Vandersloot, who it's unbelievable how quickly her career has gone. I think I was reading the other day that she's like, this is like her 10th season. I'm like, how? <laughs> like, where's the time gone? So um, it, it's a different season, but I do think teams that have veterans that will know how to kind of gut it and grind it out, that can stay healthy, will be some of the favorites. But I, I do think Seattle, I think Chicago, and coaching matters too. You know, a team mm-hmm. like Washington that we weren't expecting to be really anything have shown Still a lot of life. Too, yeah. yeah, so, um, but I, I think it would probably be Seattle and Phoenix and Chicago right now. But I am iffy on everyone at the moment. Um, Sabrina Ionescu is supposed to be the story coming in. And I watched, you know, her first two games until she, uh, of course, until she sprained her ankle which I hope she gets back soon. But they're, like you said, those young players, and in particular, it was one that you took some glee in pointing out on Twitter uh, <laughs> and making sure I, I don't I have the tweet in front of me, but I, I thought, I, but Kennedy Carter for Atlanta, yeah. and who is now one point behind, um, in, in, behind uh, I'm sorry, Deanna. Rossi? Deanna uh, Bonner. Dewana, oh, Dewana, excuse me. Like, yeah, Dewana Bonner. Sometimes I'm very bad with names, forgive me. Oh, you're but fine. one point as a rookie, and it's not just a volume score. She's making shots, and she's been incredibly impressive, has arrogance on the floor, but incredible humility in what I've seen in her interviews off the floor. Yeah, she's going to be one of the best players in this league. Um, Kennedy has a tremendous skill set, and she is – super quick and explosive off of the bounce. But she also has great shooting ability. I think last night from three-point range, she may have been like two for three, or shoot, she hit that last three. It might have been better than that. Um, but she has that special once in a – every five years in a decade talent that has come through the WNBA that um, can change the game. And, you know – Sabrina definitely was the headliner, and, some, and deservingly so, for sure. But I think women's basketball, media-wise, is still growing. And so, you know, when your boss says, okay, you can cover one thing for women's basketball this week, you know, um, sometimes we hear the same names. And then sometimes it's, um, it's about – it can be about a lot of different things. That's probably the, the tweet that you saw me put up today, you know, just shocked that people are just hearing about Kennedy Carter, but Kennedy doesn't have a great reputation. Um, you know, it's been said that she's unco- uncoachable. She has a bad attitude, a lot of different things. I haven't that seen any of that. Yeah. And, sh- and I haven't either. Not, not here. And I've right. only seen like an instance or two. It wasn't anything that I thought was. Um, I don't want to interrupt cool. you, but let me say, is, the, is that a woman thing too? Because, you know, is that something that we want to ascribe behavior to women in the competitive realm? And because they do what a, what a competitor does, that we say, oh, you're difficult. But when some, I mean, would that be any different for any type of elite player in the heat of the moment to occasionally go a little too far? We just did a 30 for 30 on Michael Jordan, and he's destroying his teammates, eviscerating coaches. And we applaud it, but we're judging women for this men get a pass men get a pass 
I mean, David, we're, I'm still dealing with people that don't even know that there's a professional women's basketball team in our country. So that's how oblivious people are to the fact that women do play sports, that they do um, have attitude and they are competitive outwardly. And, you know, I tweeted a, pic, a video today of Diana Taurasi getting into it with another player. Like, why are we still trying to put women in a box? Why are we still trying to tell women to sit down and be quiet and walk like this and act like that and talk like it is, it's sad, but yes, you're right. That, that is totally an issue of sexism um, that people frown upon players like Kennedy who have a little bit of a different edge to them, not even close to like a, a Russell Westbrook who I love. I think he's a good guy, but he can be, can be a bit much <laughs> right and so but you don't let that get in the way of how good he is and that's what troubles me sometimes about women's basketball if we take our own thoughts about people or things we've heard and um you know we kind of label players and make decisions as to why they are coverable or not or why we should want to hear from them or not or and it's just it's it's in my opinion kind of held kennedy carter back in particular yeah, and I'd, I'd love to see. The one thing I do like about the presentation in or, uh, down in Florida is that it is so basketball-focused. Mm -hmm. Like, you get to watch the court, and you don't have to worry about cutaways and all these things. You know, occasionally you have to – it's TV. you got to do your transition shots. You and I both know how that works. But the focus is so much on the basketball, and you get to see some amazing plays because the angles that they're shooting from are a bit different. And yeah. I've seen, I mean, some passing, some, you know, just shooting moves, handles. And at the, the, the whole thing is it's, it's basketball. And, and that to me is if you love basketball, you love basketball. Yeah. And I just want to see people compete at a high level who have skill and who are, who are playing like it means something to them. And I think you get that out of this league. And, and I think that that's, it's a story, like you said, that just needs to be told more. And I think the exposure with this commissioner, this is going to be the test. Yeah. Yeah. Is, are you going to get it to that next level? Because you can't have social media that's not updated regularly. You can't have an app that doesn't give fans a, the ability to touch and feel the game. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, you have all these people to sell. Diana Tarazi is, you put, I would put her, you know, if you're talking about basketball players live, walking the earth, male or female, how, how can you not have her in the conversation of the best of the best? You know, you have, you have, a, however you want people, the league has someone for you. And I think that they've just not done a great job of capitalizing on that. Yeah, there's a, they definitely have some strides to make. Um, but you're right in that, you know, when I say 144 amazing women, we probably only hear about five of them. You know, like if I ask most people right now, name me five players in the WNBA. It's going to be Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, maybe Elena Deladon, maybe Candace Parker. That's it. And Liz Cambridge, who is a fantastic player, but got yep. famous for doing and but that's where a lot of people casually became to know her was from the body issue for ESPN, the magazine, but yeah. she's a fantastic player. It's like, yeah. if you watch it, that, that as skilled a big as you're going to find in the world right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. She's really good. 
I mean, I, 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 I'm excited, though, for that. I'm excited that the WNBA has gotten this opportunity in a world that doesn't have as many sports going on to at least still have this spotlight for these 30 games. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, and I'm sure you are, too. Yeah, yeah, I am. It's going to be great. You know, like, we have more games on our air on ESPN, ESPN2, than we've ever had. ABC. I mean, I'm getting ready to do a double header tonight. We have seven straight days of double headers right right now. That this stretch that we're in. This is day two, and actually, it's nine days. But there was Wednesday we didn't have any uh, double headers. But for the next seven, we have two games tonight, and so it is great. Definitely tiring for us. I'm sure the athletes as well that they're playing every other day. But for the people at home, good basketball. I'm I'm so glad you could join me. I think this is fantastic, and I hope we get to talk again soon. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get to. I didn't get to get into any kind of Wake Forest stuff with you, which I love to do. Oh, I'll and, come. Yeah, I was gonna say I will. This is easy for me to just sit here and talk. So we'll we'll look look a couple of weeks after we get through this crazy stretch. A couple of weeks from now, and yeah. I'll come back if we can finish. Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, please tell the folks again how they can follow you and um, keep up with your busy schedule. Yeah, you can find me at LaChina Robinson. That's L-A-C-H-I-N-A Robinson on both um, Twitter and Instagram. All right, thank you so much for LaChina Robinson. I am David Grubb, and this has been another episode of Hard in the Paint. Love it.